your financial management isn't just for the numbers. You realize you're stewarding a mission. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for the show. Well, for today, we are revisiting the nonprofit accounting career path, and with an exceptional guest at that. Stephen Westbrook in Erie, Pennsylvania is joining us for the show, and Steve is currently the CEO for a local nonprofit there. He's an accountant, of course, a CPA, as a matter of fact, but he worked his way up over time to be the CEO of a couple different nonprofits over the course of his career. You're definitely going to be able to tell this from the interview, but just in case there's any question in your mind, Steve certainly enjoys what he does. You can tell the service aspect of working in a nonprofit fits him to a T. He's very fulfilled through his work, and this really was a great interview. Very fun to record. If you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please check out our unique classes that we offer online as well. I don't know if you've noticed that on our home website, but we have classes for the accounting community, particularly in tax. We have some Excel courses. We're teaching some forensic accounting courses now, just quite a variety. So please check that out as well. If there's anything there that would benefit you, I'd love for you to join us in some of our courses. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you personally in your own career, please reach out to me as well. I'm always happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's guest. Here's Stephen Westbrook. Well, hello, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Hey, it's good to be on. Thank you for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. This will be fun. Well, for the audience, we haven't highlighted the nonprofit field as a career path in a while, although we have done a few shows with accountants that have chosen that direction. It's just been quite a while. Today, we have the CEO for a not-for-profit organization in Erie, Pennsylvania, that was actually referred to us by one of our listeners. Stephen Westbrook is joining us for today's show, and he is a CPA, but he's also the CEO of Erie City Mission. And I'm excited about this interview for a few reasons. First, like I mentioned, it's been a while since we talked about nonprofits, and that's always an enjoyable discussion. But then also, it's been a long time, a really long time, since we had an accountant that became the CEO of an organization. We've done a small number of those episodes, but it's been quite a while. So this is going to be interesting. Well, Steve, before we get to the present time, let's make sure we cover your whole story, your overall journey, so to speak. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? Yes. I'm thinking back. I almost didn't major in accounting. I almost didn't go into it. I was uh, considering being a music major at the time. So also was pretty creative in my youth. But at school, I think it started when I was good at math at school. It's kind of that thing that initially people say that math kind of came easily. And then early in high school, I had an interview with a local banker and he was an accountant. And I remember really being impressed by that interview and, and thought that seemed like a cool job. And I liked the atmosphere where he was at and things he had to say. So decided to major in accounting at a local university, Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania, and really learned accounting at the school. Really never had any access to that before then, but it just made sense to me. It was a good path for me. Interesting. Okay. When you say an interview, I'm curious because I think I did something similar. 
was it a job interview or was this one of these you were exploring possible future careers or someone told you to do that? I think it was a requirement of a class I was in. We're okay. a vocational piece of a course and it was to find a local professional and interview him. And it was a friend of the family, I think. And yeah, but I just remember really liking what he did and I related and thought that was a cool thing to major in. <laughs> so Interesting. Okay. Yeah. The reason I ask, because yeah, I, I got the same assignment. I had to go interview three people and oddly enough, I chose a bank manager as well as <laughs> one of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah, realize how common that is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, talk to us a little bit about your early experience, because I know in the pre-show conversation, you mentioned having worked in public accounting and maybe getting your certification real early as yes. well. And I'm a big believer in certification. I always like to know how people yes. started. So take us through that period of your career. Okay. So I graduated in 1987 with an accounting major, married my sweetheart, and shortly after started at a local, it was a multi-state CPA firm, Hillbarth and King CPAs. So it was a public accounting firm, which I think really was a great place to start an accounting career because I, it was an excellent opportunity to learn, understand accounting, financial statements, corporate and individual taxes. It was broad learning opportunities there. I was there for about a year and a half, got a chance to move to a more local regional CPA firm yet in my hometown where my wife was working at the time. That's Maloney Reedsker Pitty and Company. A lot of names in these CPA firms, but, and again, had access to auditing opportunities and reviews, compilations, some estate work. So really got a broad spectrum of learning coming my way. And then in public accounting, they highly want you to pursue a CPA certification in public accounting. And so in 1990, after several shots at it, I was able to get my CPA. And that really has been life-changing for me. I mean, it just brought additional opportunities along the line, more opportunities for leadership. And it really just the CPE element, the continuing education element of that just kept me learning, kept me to become a learner and to stay plugged into updates in the field and then financial management techniques. And so just being a CPA was very important for my career path. And I think public accounting is an excellent place to at least start, if not stay. Both firms are great firms, but great chance to really understand the field of accounting and taxes, et cetera. Okay. Just out of curiosity, in total, how long were you in public accounting? Yes, almost nine years. Oh. Almost nine okay. years. And so I was a senior accountant in the second firm and just got done work every day, taxes and whatever needed done. And I enjoyed the work, actually. Tax season's not as much, but it was very interesting work. We worked with some great professionals and got to know businesses in our area. So that was very rewarding. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. I actually wasn't anticipating that long. So yeah, that is quite a period of time. Interesting. So yeah. what caused you to decide to move out of public eventually? And what was your next move? Yeah. And the next move was very important to the trajectory of my career, but it was an audit client, a local residential facility for delinquent and dependent adolescents and teens. It was called Bethesda Children's Home, Lutheran Financial Services, or Lutheran Services, not Financial Services. And it was an audit client. I remember being on the audit, doing field work and looking out the window, and I saw the kids and the teens walking to and from their dorms to the school, to the lunchroom. And I was really attracted to this organization that was doing great work, this campus. And their CFO left while we were doing the audit, or at least I heard about it. And I put my hat in the ring, pulled aside the executive director, the same as the CEO, and I showed my interest and I got the opportunity to transition and, and it was a much better fit 
for my future. Just loved being part of great organizations, being on the inside rather than just doing the accounting work externally. Interesting. Did you go straight into that CFO? I did. Sometimes you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But yeah, I did not have to kind of stay a while. I went right into that role because they loved the idea. It was about a $10 million nonprofit organization, human services organization. And I think they liked the fact that I was a CPA, brought some credential to that position that wasn't there. As many nonprofits sometimes don't have that level of expertise inside. And then I think it just was a good fit. And it really hit to my heart to combining my career to my heart to bring hope to people. And it just was a good fit. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. So you're nine years in public. Yes. You have this opportunity with a client. You are fortunate to get it. All of a sudden now you're the CFO of a $10 million nonprofit. Is there anything, if you think back on that, and I realize you may need a minute, but is there anything you found yourself having to very quickly learn? (laughs) Anything that was dramatically different? (laughs) The things you don't know that you don't know (laughs) at that moment? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, immediately the level of responsibility is increased. So suddenly I'm signing documents, not partners in charge of the firm signing. So suddenly I'm more responsible, definitely more involved in decisions being made. But yeah, more responsible, the need to now manage an accounting staff. So the the sudden need to kind of meaningfully delegate the different functions of accounting, payables, payroll, receivables, which were extremely important. I was a part of a leadership team right away. So just all of a sudden being part of a strategic conversations about the organization. It, so it's fulfilling, but also, yeah, a higher level of responsibility. So your financial management isn't just for the numbers. You realize you're stewarding a mission. In this case, it was about a 90-year-old organization. So you just realize you're part of something greater than just the numbers. So the numbers take on greater weight decisions being made. So I took to it. And one thing I always, I speak to a couple college classes in our area occasionally about accounting and leadership. And I always say to take opportunities that come before you that are risky sometimes to take a supervisor position or a manager, or in this case, straight a position which had the title CFO. Because, yeah, there were some learning curves for sure, and I had to depend on people that had greater knowledge than me internally about the day-to-day. But it was a really good opportunity to kind of, from all the knowledge you had gained, to apply it. A lot of application was going on and understanding departments and indirect allocations and that kind of stuff. It was just great to be a part of something greater than myself, I guess. Okay. Was there anything you can look back on that helped you quickly grow into that role? I mean, I'm curious if there was any training or additional networking or just spending a whole lot more time getting to know the organization and the other leaders there. Anything that you, a strategy, so to speak, (laughs) you know, that, that you remember that you employed during that time? Yes. Well, I was very lucky. I had a good board, but I had a great CEO I worked under and kind of was his right hand. Gave me a lot of autonomy and support. That was good. There wasn't a lot of pressure or fear kind of management. It was a really good relationship there. And then the CPA itself brings the need to continually educate yourself, which was good. So I was always having a reason to stay up to date on that. And so instead of taking corporate tax updates, which I no longer really needed, I would take more nonprofit management or cash flow management or strategic costing or things like that. So I kind of shifted what kind of education I pursued. And then also the organization was a member of a much larger association, you know, a national association called Lutheran 
Services America. So that brought conference opportunities to be a part of getting to know CFOs at other like organizations around the country. And also had a chance to become part of the Lutheran Financial Managers Association, it was called, and actually was a board member for a while. So really feeling part of that connection and learning opportunities there really helped me manage my responsibility back at the organization. Okay. How long did you end up staying with Bethesda? I was at Bethesda almost 10 years Okay. and was pretty happy there. That might have been one that was sustainable. I was starting a young family, my wife and I at the time, and was close to home where we grew up. Really no reason to leave, but I was recruited then by a company in Nashville, probably the coolest job I had called Rocket Town, which was a small nonprofit, but nationally known because of its founder, Michael W. Smith. He's a pretty influential Christian music artist. So I think the opportunity to take our family to Nashville and work in a similar field, and that was the transition to a CEO or called executive director in some nonprofits. So that was transition into not just finances, but the whole organization. So that in itself was a shift. Okay. I was curious. I was thinking it was Rocktown. I didn't realize it was oh, Rocktown. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Okay. Yes. I was curious since you said you were a music or thinking about being a music major very early in life. Yes. And then here you go, take this job at Rocket Town in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> I was wondering yeah, right. if there was some music connection there. <laughs> Interesting. Well, it certainly didn't hurt. Rocket Town was actually a song I think Michael W. Smith did early in his career, but it was a very effective nonprofit, but it was a teen venue for disconnected teens. So it had a, several music venues. It had an indoor skateboard park. It was right downtown in Nashville, a really cool ministry to teens and giving them a place where they could go when they felt disconnected from society and family and things like that. But yeah, the music component was, I mean, Nashville is Music City, USA. That's their tagline. So my wife is a songwriter as well, my wife Amy, and our kids were all involved in music, and my middle daughter now lives in L.A. and works in the music industry. So that didn't hurt being around a lot of music capacity there. But I was pretty focused on my job where I worked at Rocket Dumb, but very interesting work. Okay. 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 I do want to get to Erie City Mission, where you are now, <laughs> yeah. but I don't want to miss any important steps along the way. So I guess take us forward yes. from Rocket Town to where you come on board at Erie City. Yeah. Okay. So Rocket Town, that was my first kind of CEO type position. I really enjoyed that. Many nonprofits don't necessarily compensate leaders that well. So at the time I was raising a young family in a big city, so to speak. So it wasn't necessarily sustain, sustainable from that standpoint. So I had the opportunity to go into my first startup. So I worked for a startup mortgage investment family of companies for a while as their CFO. So I was kind of back in the corporate world, but this time not nonprofit. So learned a lot of good things in the startup position capacity. That company did not survive. It was during the credit crisis of 08 and for a variety of reasons did not survive, but I definitely learned a lot. In a, let's see, I was there about a year and a half. From there, went to a local recruiter down there and she saw kind of a vast nonprofit experience base for me. So there was an opening as the CFO of a pretty large nonprofit called Open Arms Care Corporation, which works with profoundly intellectually disabled and development, developmentally disabled adults across the state of Tennessee. So it was about a $40 million plus budget. And again, it was just a really good fit for me, much better than jobs in that I just, I was again, part of an organization bringing hope to individuals, pretty marginalized individuals, again, working with a great leadership team and trying to bring financial stability to a, an organization. So I was there about seven years until 2016. And then 
would have stayed. Again, recruited, got a phone call from the chaplain here at the Erie City Mission and the board chair. They knew me because it from, you know, we had lived here before and their CEO was leaving and heard about this. It's a gospel rescue mission. There are over 300 in the country. And I knew about the organization, didn't know a ton about it, but knew it was very well respected. It's a 110-year-old gospel rescue mission working with the homeless, the hungry, and those struggling with addictions to drugs and alcohol. So again, looking for financial and organizational leadership. And I had a chance to come home, be near aging parents and being part of a great organization. So we returned home from Nashville. My wife came kicking and screaming, <laughs> but came back to the snow belt, Erie, Pennsylvania. Incidentally, the snowiest city last year in the country. <laughs> Actually beat out Fairbanks, Alaska. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's an honor we hold tight. But yeah, that's the journey that brought me here. Always have kept the CPA active, have mostly loved working at the organizations that were impacting and bringing hope to people. And that's kind of my journey. And I've been here over five years as their CEO. Okay. Gosh, there's so many things I want to ask here. First, I'm curious, I guess, with Erie City Mission, is it a residential program? And I guess if so, how long do individuals typically stay there? I'm I'm trying to get a picture of what y'all do exactly. Yeah. Thank you for the question. We have several components. Typically, rescue missions, like I said, work with the homeless, the hungry, and those struggling with addictions. That's kind of the core services of a lot of them. So we have a 56-bed men's shelter where men can stay up to 60 days at a time. So we serve about 500 different men a year. That's called Samaritan Care. So that's a residential component. We have a 38-bed men's long-term recovery program. So that's men struggling with addictions to drugs and alcohol. We're kind of the step after detox and it's, they have to interview to get in. I mean, it's, there's no cost. We're about 90% privately funded. So that's another residential component. So in our main campus, we have 94 residential beds. And then we have a women's facility called Grace House that has 11 beds that's offsite, but again, longer term in nature. And then our food, we distribute last year 130,000 meals to our community. Obviously, COVID greatly impacted. So we had to serve bag lunches since last March. So COVID has been a challenge, especially in the congregate setting outreach that we have. But we've been able to navigate. We have a really cool youth program. And we have a couple thrift stores and a donation center that do a, a great work with us. But mainly, it's our campus setting with 94 residential beds and a lot of people coming to us for food shelter and recovery. Interesting. My gosh, I know you mentioned that early on when you got into nonprofits that it just, you know, it's something you cared about. It fit with who you are. Do you have family members with roots in nonprofits as well? Or I guess, where does that come from? I'm curious. My mom was a teacher, my dad a toolmaker. My wife was an executive position with a local nonprofit for a while early in our major, or early in our marriage. Um, <laughs> with it was a Girl Scout Council, local Girl Scout Council, where she was a field director and then a public relations development director. I grew up going to a very outreach-oriented church. I grew up in a family that used to sing together. And then carried that on with my wife and sister for a while. So I think I was very outreach-oriented. The way I was raised, kind of very aware that there were people outside of myself that needed help and assistance. But I mean, when I went into the professional world of accounting, I was okay with banging out corporate taxes and accounting general ledger work every day. But 
that Bethesda, that chance to pivot to becoming part of these organizations was really important to me. And well, nonprofits can be very large, too. They're not always small. Most of the nonprofits I was at were almost 100% governmentally funded. Some of them was like managing a local hospital. Now, the one I'm at now is more privately funded, so there's nuances I've had to take on, like fundraising and donor relations and community awareness, that kind of stuff. But I think it just comes from a family, a church, and a community that was outreach-oriented, so I was just very aware of people that were less fortunate than myself. Okay. Okay. Actually, that does flow a little bit into one of the questions I wanted to ask you. What is a typical week like for you as the CEO of this organization? I'm curious. Yes. I mean, rescue missions are not easy places to work. We do tough work. And again, that's mostly the people I work with. I'm more in administrative duties, but there are a lot of heroes who work at places like this. But I guess my predecessor, when I came, I don't know what he wanted me to think, but he said, yeah, I fight bears. I fight different bears every day. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm thinking, oh, great. But I think, especially in the CEO position, you have to be very aware of all the different functions of the organization. So definitely making sure we're okay financially. But there's facilities. We just were finishing a large building project when I came on, on staff, meeting with our leadership team on a regular basis. So did you say typical week? Or, so, or typical schedule, week, day, yeah. month, whatever works for you. Yeah, we have a weekly leadership team. I weekly meet, I schedule a meeting, more of a strategic meeting with the director of men's outreach, women's, youth, thrift stores, and our development and our chapel, chaplain. So together we kind of strategically try to steer the ship, but I'm in and out of the different programs and services that are occurring during the week and very working with our accounting supervisor and HR manager. We have about 50 employees, incidentally. So to make sure that financially we're stable, there's facilities things that come up, minor construction projects or maintenance projects that I'm speaking to our facilities manager about. She's an architect, so we have very credentialed people I work with. The board, I work with a board of 12, so being under their authority, I'm their, their one employee. Community awareness about what we do. We regularly put out TV, radio commercials, and donor relations, fundraising. I've asked for major gifts from major donors and grants. And so it's just really all over the place. Anything that helps the organization continue to move forward. So it's a very interesting. Time goes fast and financial is not the only piece. <laughs> okay. Okay. Definitely a broad range. <laughs> of a- yeah. And, you know, and then I walk downstairs, you know, when you leave for lunch, I could bump into a, a man, Ralphie, we call him. He comes every day for a cup of coffee and a chat. And then you see people coming for lunch about 200 a day. And then I really get to know the guys in our long-term recovery pretty well. Teach a class on time management in their last 10 weeks. It's a 40-week program. So constantly also in touch with some of the people that we're serving. So it's a humbling place to work, but very hopeful. So Mm. gather all those together. There's just a lot of responsibility, but a lot of reward. Now, did you mention you're starting to do some fractional CFO work as well or part-time? Yes. So... Yeah, thanks for asking that. So at this point in my career, I've, I've had a broad range of experience. I've helped a few organizations kind of turn around from what could have been crisis situations. And so in some number, I think I actually took a pay cut coming back to town. That's not the best thing to do and to help this organization. But I kind of, uh, the board has approved me being able to consult in addition to my CEO roles here. So really wanted to have a chance to help other organizations. So just worked on just recently starting a consulting company called Westbrook Innovative. 
Uh, we're at westbrookinnovative.com, my wife and I. And I wanted to get into some virtual CFO work, some turnaround work, setting up financial reporting systems. And then my wife is more branding and consulting. But yeah, I just wanted to be able to help other similar organizations, not just nonprofit, because I've been in the corporate and startup world as well. And I know the importance of kind of a CFO mentality in organizations, but not all companies can afford a full-time CFO, CPA. I think I can help a lot of organizations in that capacity. So definitely just getting that started. We're on Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter, and, and looking for opportunities to assist other organizations in remaining financially stable while strategically kind of relevant. Sure, sure. Yeah, using all the experience you've acquired over all these years. Yes. Yeah, so I learned a lot of lessons and I think can save a lot of organizations. I think accounting, the longer you're in it, crisis, chaos, things like that, it doesn't scare me. I mean, it's clutter. There's a lot of clutter in organizations. The finances, the way they run the organization, and I'm okay with clutter. I can come in and try to make sense of things, so... That's kind of a specialization. I think accountants in general get pretty good at moving into a lot of information and bringing out what's most important. Mm-hmm. So definitely wanting to do more of that. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I end every show with the same three questions. But before we get to those, there's one more thing I want to ask you because you have had yes. an interesting journey. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of super critical advice. What do you think that would be? Wow, what a question. (laughs) Most often I did it, but I think it's to take opportunities and risks when they come to you, opportunities for new paths or new levels of responsibility. I think it's to take those opportunities. So like I tried to do that. I could have probably started younger, just kind of stayed in public, but just to take risks, to become a supervisor or a manager, to take on responsibility is a good thing for your path. And I could have stayed at many of the organizations, so I'm not advocating leaving where you're at. Sometimes it's good to stay where you're at for 30 years. It's a great fit. But I think moving around and taking risk and increasing my level of responsibility, actually, and exposure, really, was really good for my career. So I think just being willing to step out of your comfort zone and try something new is a good thing. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, one of the first accountant that had moved up to CEO in an organization of any size that we had interviewed this over three years ago said that don't always look at the job as to where necessarily it can take you, but look at it and think, you know, what can I do with it? <laughs> you know, what can I yes, do with this job? Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. And I've tried to do that. Yeah. How do I bring value? Right. So my path hasn't been, I mean, you definitely have to be saving in your 401k and because the future does come. <laughs> but yeah, I've always just tried to bring as much value as I could. I'm a big proponent of bringing all you are to the table. You know, if you're an accountant, not just financial, but just bringing all your ideas and insight and innovation, bring it all to the table and just trying to bring value to the position or organization where you're at. And that has served me well. And I think it's very important in life. So good point. Makes sense. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions. So we'll go ahead and get to those. The first one's usually one of the easier ones from a career perspective. (laughs) That's a statement and a warning all wrapped up in one. Yes. Yeah. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Boy, (laughs) that's a difficult one. I've had several chances to help places, I think, turn around and points of significant challenge. But I think in general, it was helping worthy organizations navigate and succeed through things that could have 
brought them down. I'll just dwell on where I'm at now. I mean, my proudest moment now is every 10 weeks we have a graduation and it's seeing men that walk through the door significantly struggling with addictions and without hope to being able to be part of restoring the hope and seeing life transformation. That is definitely currently one of our proudest moments is we can see hope restored and lives transformed. And and I really mean that. Mm, Thank you. So it's it's the impact on the people. Yeah. Sure, sure. And you're helping that organization continue to do an even better job over time, fulfilling the mission. So yes, that makes sense. Well, second question, or or really a request, I guess, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we learn from these things. Yes. Sometimes as CPAs or accountants, we have opportunities to learn about fraud. And I've had several occurrences of finding or uncovering fraud at different organizations. So the lesson was when they say in, you know, in accounting to safeguard assets, when you're part of organizations, that's a real level of responsibility because sadly, people you have trust, people you could trust or organizations can trust, people sometimes will make bad decisions and will try to do things in their own interest versus the organization. So I guess I'm a pretty win-win guy and high level of trust with those I work with, but being part of finding that on two to three different occasions over all different organizations is a reminder to me. I mean, that was learning things the hard way and it just increased the focus on safeguarding the assets and financial strength of these great organizations. There will be people that will not have the same idea (laughs) that work at some of these organizations. So some of it is a protective kind of approach. So learning the hard way that it can happen and people you trust that don't always make good decisions and that you need to take seriously the call to safeguard the financial strength of these organizations. Sure. Sure. That is something that's easy to take for granted that, well, you know, internal controls, don't worry. Everyone here is honest. Internal controls are for for other people where dishonest people work, but everyone here is honest. And yeah, it's it's easy. Yes. Yeah. And that's my initial, you know, I'm not a fear-based CFO, you know, walking the halls of the organization. I've been pretty win-win and definitely have good internal controls, but things can happen. People can circumvent and I've had seen several different ways. So yeah, just the surprise of that has been hard moments and then navigating the organization through those, but it's realizing that not all people have the same mindset. (laughs) (laughs) Sad, but true. True. Yes. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? That is a great question. And I go back to my very first job at Hillbarth and King CPAs. I'm right out of college, just married. And I took note that when they walked me to my pretty nice little desk or cubicle, every desk had a plaque that said, think ahead. (laughs) Think ahead. And it was the organizational culture of at least that location, if not the whole firm. And I remember really taking that in and in our life to be much more proactive in our lives than reactive. And so just thinking ahead, taking time to look out over the horizon and both for the organization and the work you're doing and the deadlines and all that, but also for your own career, just think ahead once in a while, not be so reactive in our lives was really good advice. And I've kept that with me all along the way. I think it's extremely important to set goals and objectives and not just be day-to-day and reactive, but chart the course for yourself and for your organizations as much as possible. You have to make time to think ahead, too. But it's easy to get... You do, but it's, it, 
True, true. And I teach a class on time and we say, why don't we set goals? Because we don't have time. And it's people will spend the least amount of time on the things sometimes that are the most important in the direction of their lives, their careers, and of course, the organizations where they work. So yeah, extremely good advice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time for this, Steve. I can tell that you're passionate about what you do and what the organizations that you've worked for do. And it's important to me as well. I am glad that individuals like you are, are out there. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thanks for asking me to be on. I love the idea. You can't tell when you're starting your career the path that it will take, but it's good to make the best of each moment along the way. And I would be remiss if I could, didn't give my nephew, Riley Martin, a big shout out for the referral to you. And Riley Martin is going to be a great accounting professional. I think he's just finishing school and married my beautiful niece, Carly. So think very highly of him. So I got to give him a shout out. Yes, I really appreciate the referral for him to take the time to do this. And then when I looked you up, you know, I just couldn't pass up the opportunity. So yes, thank you, Riley. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Riley and Carly. And shout out to my wife, Amy. But thank you, Mark. It really, really great conversation. I appreciate it. And our lives can take twists and turns, but accounting is a solid profession where you can make a really big difference in the world and in the lives of people. Yes. Well, it's great talking to you. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you, Mark. Well, that was my interview with Steve Westbrook. And sometimes at the end of the podcast, I point out a few items that really stuck out to me. And sometimes there's just an overall feeling. And really, that's the situation in this interview. I enjoy the whole thing. But when I think back on it, what really sticks out to me is a saying I heard a long time ago that, you know, if you enjoy what you do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And what that means is that, that you'll never feel that it's a hard task. And I'm sure if you ask Steve, he would say he's definitely worked a lot of days in his life. However, you can tell that he's passionate about what he's doing and he knows that the role he plays makes a difference in the community and therefore the world, frankly, or at least that's the way I feel. And I really admire that when someone's able to combine what they're passionate about and what they truly care about with their career. That is really just a beautiful thing. And frankly, I enjoyed the interview and I'm happy for Steve that he's found that in his career. Well, that wraps up another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers podcast. I know I mention this a lot, but if there's anything I can do for you in your own career, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. Well, that's it for this week. And thank you again for joining us. We'll see you all next week. After all, this is Where Accountants Go. Where Accountants Go.